Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Energy News Beat podcast. My name is Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. We got us a big treat today. I mean, we not only have a very knowledgeable man about, I mean, the energy explore, uh, exploitation. Sorry, I, I a little bit of Oklahoma in me, a little bit of Texan. I've got Ronald Stein stopping by the podcast today. And for our podcast listeners, I'm holding up his book. It is absolutely phenomenal. Ronald, thank you for stopping by. And uh, your authoring of uh, energy is fantastic. I'm looking forward to having a discussion with you. Thank you, Stu. Same here. I'll tell you, just as a little side note, I also saw your article that we'll be covering. Unsold electric cars may be signaling a death spiral for the auto industry. We'll cover that here in a little bit. While we were talking just a second ago, uh, helping citizens understand the environmental and humanity abuses that support clean energy. You hit almost all of my hot buttons in your book. What prompted you to start getting into this discussion of energy liter- literacy, as you say? Well, my co-author, Todd Ro- and I, we had a lot of discussions, and it, it was really a aggravating the fact that all the exotic minerals and metals to make EV batteries, to make wind turbines, to make solar panels, were coming from developing countries that have no environmental controls, no labor controls, and they're exploiting people with yellow, brown, and black skin, and a environmental degradation right. over there is okay because we can't see it, but it was really aggravating. And after writing the book, um, you know, and now the big push for EVs, right. Lou, I have made a personal decision. I will not buy an EV for ethical reasons. Right. Because after writing the book, I know where the lithium and the cobalt is coming from. And I'm not willing to financially support that. On the other hand, the government is. They provide incentives, tax breaks. They're basically providing financial incentives for these foreign countries, developing countries, to continue exploiting people and destroying their landscape. That's okay. Yeah. But, uh, I think it's unethical and immoral, but they're so focused on getting down to, you know, lower emissions, they're doing anything. And I, right. I like I said, I think it's unethical and immoral for the government to even think about doing that. Your book talked about cobalt and in cobalt, uh, specifically in uh, the areas that it's being mined, you had three and four year old kids that you were talking about working for two dollars and 50 cents. And you also bring up that there are, uh, I believe, uh, six million uh, uh, billion people in the world that are working for less. Is it eight billion for less than ten dollars a day? So, I mean, we are and we are looking at the middle class going away because of the way this is done. And then the poor are going to get poorer and the rich are going to get richer. Exactly. you know, when uh, Todd Rowe and I uh, put together and wrote this book, it it was just atrocious what's what's going on over there. And you're right, 80% of the world, now there's 8 billion people in the world, and right. 80%, which is more than 6 billion, you're right, they're living on less than $10 a day. And the cover photo, we had a lot of discussion, that cover photo is taken in Africa with a military guy with an Uzi forcing yep. a family young and old, mining for this stuff by hand. Right. And uh, that's what we're, 
encouraging with this green movement. I mean, if they had labor laws over there and had environmental labor laws over there, I'd be fine. But that would drive up the cost of EVs. EVs are already out of sight as it is. And so, you know, like I say, getting cheap labor and cheap materials allows it to put together, you know, a battery. And, you know, the Tesla battery, it's a thousand pound battery. Oh, yeah. And uh, how many tons of material needs to be excavated in order just to get the battery? I mean, different, you know, for the lithium, the cobalt, different metals, uh, it's estimated you have to move about a half a million tons of earth to get the materials to make one battery. You know, uh, and you mentioned recycling uh, in the book. Uh, Unbelievable. Windmills are not uh, recyclable. The blades, you talk about the amount of steel that goes into it. And I have put a call out to folks, all my crayon math. I went to Oklahoma State University. So my crayon math (laughs) is I cannot say that wind farms are past eight years. And a way I say that is fiscally responsible past eight years, because you eliminate the tax credits, you have the increased costs of of, uh, maintenance, and so you eliminate that out. And the meantime, between failure on all the turbines is right in that eight-year mark. So there's really no reason to put them in because they're carbon net zero after 10. Well, that's another thing that aggravates me is the environmentalist, just like the military is silent, they don't want to ask an embarrassing question to their boss, the president. Uh, the environmentalists are silent because there's, right. right now it's unproven if there's any economical way to recycle the batteries, the wind turbines, right. the solar panels. And the environmentalists are silent. I mean, I don't get you, you, Australia, they got piles and piles of toxic waste dumps of these turbines. Right. They're huge. They're unbelievable yeah. use. You know, it's just like when you watch the space shuttle launch, it's on TV, the camera's yeah. here, and the space shuttle is only 12 inches high because the camera is, you know, five miles away. Well, the wind turbines don't look very big because the photograph is taken a long way away. But these right. blades, each blade is getting to be the length of a football field. Isn't that nuts? And Stu, that is that is huge. And like I say, yep. they their mechanical equipment, they, you know, they got you know 10 to 20 years of life. And after that, you know, they're they're falling apart. And and well, then and then they only make intermittent electricity. Can you run a hospital on wind turbines or solar panels? And the grid, uh, Meredith Angwin was phenomenal on her discussion. I love Meredith. I think she's a national treasure. And the grid, shorting the grid was her book. And I really learned a lot. Like in Texas, they're producing uh, a lot of solar and wind, but it took $3.5 billion to get the wind on a transmission line in order to get it to East Texas. It does not make sense. No, it doesn't. It's 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 atrocious. And then the other thing, you know, wind and solar, they get a lot of subsidies, but they get subsidies based on nameplate rating. And they name never produce nameplate rating. Name tell me rating. what nameplate rating is. That on the I mean, wind turbine uh, activity? Well, yeah, if, if you have, you know, like so many megawatts of power you're going to produce, yes. nameplate rating. And they do occasionally if the wind's really blowing, but most right. of the time, most of the time they're not working. You know, a coal-fired yeah. power plant, a natural gas power plant, you know, they'll produce about 98% of their nameplate rating annually. Right. They're down for maintenance occasionally. 
But wind and solar, they're down most of the time because right. of weather. And we just don't get electricity. And it turns out the reason electricity rates are going up, you know, Germany was the first country to go green. They now got the highest electricity rates in the world. Yep. And California, we're right behind them. Our rates, right. I think, are the highest in the country. And it's it, it's crazy. We're basically building a redundant electrical generating system. Right. But you need continuous uninterruptible electricity. Right. So the backup is wind and solar and nuclear. Right. And so you're, you're basically just building these wind turbine solar panels as a showpiece because you can't rely on them. No. And, and I, I, you're, I loved your chapter on California and Germany. And when you start talking about the high cost of energy, it's the printing of the money. Uh, it's the inflation that printing the money goes for. And uh, Germany really shot themselves in the foot by getting uh, dependent on Russian natural gas. Uh, oops. Uh, yeah, everybody that's, quote, gone green is dependent on somebody else. You take California. California, we got the most temperate climate in the country. It's right. never too hot. It's never too cold. And of all the EVs in the entire country, right, 40% of them are here in California. <laughs> now, Stu, that's an easy calculation. The right. other 60% are divided among the other 49 states. Right. Well, that, that's like 1% per state. You mentioned in your book that there's no charging stations in the other 49 states. <laughs> well, if you only have a couple EVs, doesn't no justification to put a charging station in. So yeah. it's it's crazy. Um, and in California, we have all these EVs. Right. But we can't generate enough electricity. California imports more electricity than other other state in the country. Isn't that nice? We import like 30 percent of our electricity comes from adjoining states. In your and then, then a couple of weeks ago, we had a hot day. Yeah, Newsom say, "Don't charge your EV." <laughs> Let me ask you this: uh, they're they're wanting to make uh, they're wanting to make the EVs uh, bidirectional on that, so they can pull power off the car into the grid. But doesn't that add like five thousand dollars to a car in order to hook it to your house for bidirectional or something? I don't know about you, but I can't afford that. Well, there's not enough electricity in that, in that system. You know, it was interesting. With all the people talking about grid stability and the concern about the grid can't handle it, the UK, they came up with the greatest solution. Okay. Last last year in June, by law, all chargers, home chargers, chargers to work, are programmed not to work nine hours a day. During peak low requirements, you cannot charge your vehicle. That's, that's given. And secondly, and most importantly, Stu, those chargers are on a separate meter. They're going to be charged separately, higher rates, because the UK knows if they've got to rebuild the grid, who's going to pay for it? The EV users. And if the grid really gets in trouble, they'll just turn that circuit off. Instead of not operating nine hours a day, it may not operate, may not operate for days. That's coming to a state near you. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. You know, I'm here in beautiful California, and right. don't ask me when I'm leaving. <laughs> so, but, you know, here in California, we have 400,000 miles of roadway, all these freeways, everything. Right. And road taxes accumulate $8 billion to help maintain mm -hmm. those roads. Now, Newsom wants to go all electric. Right. Well, if we go to all electric vehicles, the $8 billion in fuel taxes is going to go to Nothing. zero. Right. So now we have heavier vehicles. 
using our 400,000 miles of roadway, road pay, paying nothing. Wow. So there, there's, there's two things coming up. The VMT, right. the vehicle mileage tax, has been talked about for years. You know, how to implement that. Basically, whoever uses the road pays for the road. Right. And, uh, and like I say, California might implement what the UK did, put in separate meters. And like I say, the electric rates are going to go skyrocketing because someone's got to pick up that $8 billion loss of income to the state. Now, uh, there's there's uh, a couple things in your article. It was dated August 1st. And uh, again, I'm I'm a I'm a Ronald fan over here, you know. So, you know, if you ever run for president, I'll be over here going, yay. Uh, so <laughs> one of the things uh, was the recycling. And I just interviewed the president of uh, Fry uh, Battery, a storage facility, uh, storage company out of Norway. I interviewed the CEO uh, last year. My renewable hot button is recyclable. And Fry Battery is the only one that has a recyclable battery for the uh, gigabyte plants. So if the batteries are not recyclable, how can they truly be a sustainable resource? Well, the answer to your question is really another question. There's not enough lithium and cobalt in the world to build the EV batteries Right. To have an EV population that they want. And once you run out of lithium and cobalt, you, you're stuck in the mud. Now you have all these EVs. Right. <laughs> Why? I love the idea of the hybrid. And I noticed in your book also that it was the second cars. You always say that the second cars are the EVs and people that have the money buy the EVs. And then they got a, a big Dodge truck sitting out there or a Ford truck or you know, they got a big town car or something that they can drive around. And then everybody goes, I got me an EV. I, I wouldn't have an EV because of what you just said, the, uh, the other things coming back around. But I like the idea of hybrids. Why didn't that make sense that we get 60 miles per gallon and about a fourth of the battery? What are Stu, your thoughts on that? As an engineer, I thought the hybrid was the greatest invention ever. Yeah. You, you double your gas mileage and you buy us a couple hundred years to develop battery technology. Right. But the auto industry has been mandated to eliminate them. Let me explain. The auto industry is mandated to get their emissions down for their entire fleet. They right. average it out for the entire fleet. And the only way you can get down that low, they have to eliminate the gasoline engine in the hybrid. And so all the automobile manufacturers you're going to see a couple hybrids because they can wow. do it within their fleet. But most automobile manufacturers are 100% all in, EVs or nothing. Well, you talk about it in the article that it could be the death of the auto industry. And uh, I, I can see why, because uh, Toyota uh, was, I, I believe, you have to, I have to fact check myself, you know, which is my wife does that all the time. Is, no, you're an idiot. Okay. Uh, but uh, to Toyota did two, two things, and that is they were really not going after the EV market until just recently. And it's because they didn't feel that there was any profit. And Ford is losing twenty to $60,000 per car when they sell one. How can you be sustainable? Well, you can't, but by law, they're mandated to do this. And, you know, the EPA wow. is trying to increase the mileage requirements, which right. is you know, to a, a number that you can't get out of a gasoline engine. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, all the all the regulations are against them. And, you know, it takes them like 10 to 20 years to, to gear up to make a different widget. 
Right. And now they're going to be making a widget that, you know, most people can't afford. You know, the elites are still buying them and they'll still continue to buy them. But uh, the working class, no, you know, you're related to take home ownership. I read an article that, you know, 40% of homeowners are house poor. They're going to make their payment. Well, more likely, they're not going to be buying an EV because they don't have that flexibility. And apartment dwellers, I I saw a number that like 70% of people living in apartments, you know, can't afford a house. Right. Well, more likely, they can't afford an EV either. Right. (laughs) So Um, it's... I am a, a little old school. I'm looking for the article uh, that I just read. I think it was a Cadillac uh, that was an EV. Oh, here it is. GM confirmed uh, confirms Cadillac Celestic starting at 340K. Holy smokes. Boy, I can afford that. I don't know. Good grief. Well, that, if you got time, I'll tell you a funny story. Okay. Um, I've, I've always driven a sedan and I always I had a Mercedes E350. Four-door okay. sedan, and it was getting up in mileage. And so, uh, you know, so I'm up in age, and I started to trade it in. So I decided to lease an SL450 convertible Mercedes. Nice. So an old fart like me, and so anyhow, I'm I'm driving this, you know, two-door Mercedes, and it's a two-door, and it's you know, it's hard to get into, it's hard to get out of. And right. after a year, I says, "Damn, I get, I got to go back to a sedan." And so I qualify. Ethicab wouldn't buy an EV, but I qualified right. as an EV owner. So I went online and I, I priced out the E350 in an E right. version. Right. And it circled out at 110, $110,000. Yeah. I says, holy crap, you know? So I looked at the E350 in the gas version. It was 50000 yeah. less. And so I, I, you know, being an engineer, I get my pencil out. If I keep my SL for three years, right. with the mileage I get and the cost of fuel here in California, over three years, I'd spend $5,000. So I was talking to my personal trainer. I said, Tony, should I spend an extra 50000 so I could save 5000 right. He said, Ron, you buy that EV, I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> I, I, I applaud you in your decision. I mean, I drive old cars, and it's because I'm, I'm too cheap. I just don't care. I mean, I, I get a car broken in, and I just traded out my... 1999 Ford pickup a while ago. It's just, it was finally worn out and I had 250,000 miles on it. And I kind of like that truck. I get it broken in at about just broken in. (laughs) And, and I, I, again, I'm just not a big, you know, got to have me a new car. And I, I, why go spend all that money? I now a hybrid, I'm starting to get a little interested in. Yeah. Yeah. I I would be, I'd be interested in the hybrid, but, you know, here in California, you know, you drive the streets here and you see, you know, the people that don't have a house are right parked on the street and the streets are just jammed. All these cars. I'm just trying to visualize, geez, these are EVs. How are they going to charge them? Right. If you have extension cords laying all over the street, well, that's the first thing people are going to steal because they'll steal it and cash, cash right. in the copper. And so it's, it's just too inconvenient. And, you know, a car is a means of transportation. You don't want to think about it. You know, do I have enough energy in there charged? And, and then, God forbid, we had a situation happen yesterday. One of the freeways that connects north and south, they had a tanker right. caught fire. And people were caught. They were stuck in traffic for five hours. And if you're in traffic for five hours, you'd like, you know, during the day, 
you like your air conditioning running. Well, Stu, the air conditioner runs off the battery. <laughs> and it drains the battery. <laughs> so, no, there's it's just too inconvenient. And if you're out in the middle of nowhere and get stuck, then you're, you're screwing up everybody else behind you. See, I, I couldn't have one from the standpoint that as soon as you put a trailer on it, uh, it just, you know, you cut your mileage in half and it would not tow my boat. So, right. you know, you said, oh, yeah, the bigger, the, the bigger the vehicle. And again, most, most EVs are sedans, but right. statistically, most people are buying, I'll use the word, light trucks, SUVs, right. you know, that type of thing. They're, they're bigger vehicles and not, not the small sedans. Now, Biden is really excited about the Ford 150. Right. Well, its battery, I think, is upwards of 1,500 pounds. That's a lot. Now, the Hummer, the Hummer has an EV version. Right. You, you know what the battery weighs? 5,000. 7,000. How much? 5,000. Whoa! It's a tank. Can you? I mean, you're right. The bigger the the bigger the load, the bigger the battery. And if you want to tow a boat, you need a bigger battery. Now, let me ask this: because the lifespan of a battery, I I believe you talked about it in your book as well, is a hundred thousand miles or eight years or something like that. And I've got some friends that are buying the EVs, and they ain't getting that kind of length out of it. And when you have to buy a whole new battery pack, it's $24,000. Right. 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 And, you know, it's interesting because when you take a look at EV sales, well, take a look, automobile sales. Automobile sales, um, pick a number, 25% are usually new, 75% are used. Right. That's the normal annual market for vehicles. Right. There is no used car market for EVs. Is it because of the big batteries that you got to buy again after? It's the same type thing, because if you buy a used EV, the lifespan of that battery is less than the original owner had. Right. And the cost to replace it is, as you mentioned, humongous. And so, yeah, I mean, it'd be cheaper to buy an old gasoline car. Right. And and let me ask this. the Biden administration, I don't get in a lot of ways because, you know, that we heard this big thing going on just a little while ago with the uh, they're going after the gas stoves. Uh, you know, I'm going right because they want the electric uh, stove so they can shut it off. Just like you mentioned, when you have two different ones in the UK, they they now put out saying they want to go after the ceiling fan. That was day before yesterday. What is up with them? How and is California getting that way, where they're wanting to control a hundred percent of the electricity? Oh yes, yes, yes. The, the confusion part is the fact that our leaders are mesmerized with the fact that renewable energy—and I use that word—renewable energy is going to replace right. fossil fuels. But renewables only generate electricity. Wind turbines generate electricity. Right. Solar panels generate electricity. EV batteries store electricity, but wind turbines manufacture nothing for society. Solar panels manufacture nothing for society. In fact, you know, you go back to the 1900s, the health department didn't exist before. (laughs) The medical industry didn't exist before 1900 because it had no products. Right. But today we have a product shortage problem. Right. That that's the thing that they don't recognize that wind and solar only generate electricity. They manufacture nothing. Now, if they really want to get rid of all the fossil fuel, right. I'm glad you're sitting down because we're going to get rid of wind turbines and we're going to get rid of solar panels 
I want to get rid of EVs because all of the materials needed to make wind turbines, solar panels, and EV batteries, I mean, EV vehicles, it's made with fossil fuels. Right. Now you take Joe Biden. Joe Biden, he's flying and run on a 400-ton airplane, 100% made with fossil fuels, all the electronics made with fossil fuels, powered by aviation fuel made from fossil fuels. He's screaming in the microphone, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. Is there a disconnect here? You can't. Think about it. Everything that needs electricity is made with fossil fuels. Your iPhone, yep. electricity can charge it, but electricity can't make it. Exactly. Take the defibrillator in the hospital. You know, electricity can make it work, but it can't make the defibrillator. You got to have take, the plastic. Take, Yep. Take a look in your house, in the hospital, you know, your friends, neighbors, trying to identify something, anything that was not made with fossil fuels. I'm dead meat because I've got 10 monitors right here. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I've You're got honestly, I've got t- I've got a whole wall of monitors and I've got uh, two Linux servers and I, 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 I got fossil fuel all over the place here. <laughs> Everybody does. And, you know, it's it, it's just amazing that there's a disconnect and the press never questions the stupidity. I mean, hey, I'm all for getting, you know, putting wind turbines in, but what are they going to do? All they do is generate electricity. Right. And everything needs electricity is made with fossil fuels. I, I love the way you phrase that, Ronald. That is absolutely outstanding. Um, in your book, also, you talk about, I believe it's 60, I'm going to throw the number out, 60,000 power plants around the world. And China and Japan, I'm trying to remember the numbers you had in there. They're adding another 300 right now, I believe, or something, a couple of weeks. You know, it's China, just China and India, they're building about one coal fired power plant a week. And, uh, and it's interesting, the world is building nuclear. Um, Sweden, they, they threw the monkey wrench in the pot. They said, we're, we're done with this renewable stuff. We need continuous electricity, uninterruptible electricity, emission-free electricity. We're going nuclear. You know, and basically, you know, the hell with renewables because right. renewables have a limitation. And, you know, they, you know, they have a short lifespan. We, how do you recycle the stuff? Right. And then you're, you're decimating the landscape that they're taking. Right. Everybody's all excited about offshore wind, but offshore wind only affects the coastal cities. What about Nebraska? <laughs> They're not going to benefit from no. offshore wind. And killing the whales. You know, oil and gas saved it the first time, you know, saved the whales the first time. And then Greenpeace, I got to interview um, Patrick. Uh, Patrick, who was one of the founders of Green, uh, Greenpeace, and I didn't realize that they had saved the whales from the Japanese uh, whaling and everything. So Greenpeace really did a great job before they went a little bit weird on Greenpeace. They saved them the second time. So maybe oil and gas can save the whales the third time. Well, it's interesting. Oil and gas industry is, that's a tough industry. You know, no one likes them. No one trusts them. And Right, so they, I, I, they were bad for a while. I'll right, give them that. Right, but uh, I like my position. I mean, I, I grew up, uh, you know, helping working with a engineering firm that basically designed and built refineries around the world. Oh, so nice. I learned I learned the industry, and now I'm in a position. I'm almost the private business spokesperson for the industry nice. because I can say what they want to say that they can't say. I mean, I could say, you know, Biden and Newsom are crazy. They can't say it. I can say it. 
but, but the, like I said, there's those unanswered questions. And, uh, I, yes. you know, when I give a presentation on energy, I don't like to give a presentation. I like to do a fireside chat. Right. Now, most people are embarrassed to ask an intelligent question on energy. So I'll basically give the moderator, I'll give the audience 50 open-ended questions. Right. Hand it out. And so if they want to talk about EVs or wind or solar or nuclear or, you know, whatever. But I want to talk about the subject they want to hear about. Right. And so if I give them the written question, Very they can smart. stand up and ask an intelligent question or, you know, they can modify right. whatever. But it basically stimulates the conversation. But again, I, I need to have people talk about this at the dinner table because you got to ask, you know, they want to get rid of, you know, stoves and they want to get rid of this and that. What's the repercussion? You you bring up some other great numbers in the book. I can I have I proved that I read the book. I, by yes, the way. yes. <laughs> you passed the quiz. <laughs> you also mentioned in there that in the um, the numbers for folks that are die from cooking, uh, cooking and and just using non uh, natural gas or anything else. And it is amazing that people think that, oh, cook from wood or cook from cow dung or cook from those other things. And reading your stats, it kills a lot of people. Oh, yeah, it's, it's huge. And you're right. Uh, the, you know, they, they can't put enough food on the table and uh, they've got no air conditioning and yeah, they burn cow dunk, you know, for energy. And yeah, the the environment is just horrendous, you know, for those people. Let and they haven't joined the Industrial Revolution. And right. because we're separating the economies, the wealthy and the less wealthy, that they may never join the Industrial Revolution. But let me ask this, because Africa drives me nuts. Why are the richer countries trying to shove a bad energy policy that has not worked for California or Germany on them, charge them higher interest rates, and then tell them they have to go to renewables when they've got natural gas and they've got everything there? Why? Everybody's so focused on emissions. They want to get down low. In fact, uh, I use the term leakage. Leakage. Um, Leakage, because in California... We're the most environmentally controlled state in the world. Right. If you want to build anything that's going to be an emission generator, you want to build it in California. Right. To get the least emission. But if you say, well, don't build it here, build it there. Right. Well, now you're saying, you know, you can basically have all the emissions you want over there. Right. But we're we're going to keep California clean. And so we've got a lot of uh, laws here on environmental laws. And they basically say you really can't leak that responsibility somewhere else but we do it all the time right but they they uh california buys 70 percent of the oil from ecuador and the rest of the places that china pumps out out of the rainforest they import 70 percent of that a little hypocrisy going on in california uh back in 95 i think between california oil production and alaska imports right. we were 95 percent self-sufficient since that time, all what the governors, was that wrong? 95, 95. Wow. We, imported, we imported 5% from all these foreign countries, OPEC, right. you know, et cetera. And all the governors we've had since that time says reduce oil production, reduce oil production. So Lou, today, that 5% has grown to more than 60%. Wow. We're the fourth largest economy in the world in California. And we import 60% of the oil demands for that economy. 
Right. We're a national we're a national security risk for the entire country. Absolutely. And what and what does the governor want to do? He wants to reduce in-state production to increase imports. Now, right. here's another interesting statistic. You talk about leakage. Yeah. We import all this oil. Now the oil tankers that come to California right. from OPEC, you know, and Venezuela, et cetera, et cetera, they use a low grade fuel, right. which emits tremendous emissions. Anyhow, the emissions from oil tanks. Annual emissions from oil tankers, right. the total annual emissions from tankers is double the entire mobile fleet of California. Holy smoke. Now, that's okay, because you have to understand, Newsom only breathes California air. If it's outside of California, you know, perimeters, he doesn't breathe that. That's okay. He doesn't count that. But then, uh, <laughs> you know, the solar thing is driving me nuts, because there are several uh, places where the U.S. is dumping all their solar panels. And if it cannot be recycled, I'm not a happy camper. Like Fry Battery out of Norway, they've designed their energy storage to be recyclable. Okay, I'm in. Okay, if your wind farm blades can don't need tax subsidies, if you don't have, if you can recycle those blades, let's talk. But this is driving me nuts. Well, as I mentioned, that's the thing that really aggravates me, the silence of the environmentalists. Because if you're going to build a mine, if you're going to build a refinery, if you're going to build a nuclear site, you right. have to prove before you put a shovel on the ground, how you're going to reclaim the land back to its pristine condition. Right. You know, recycling, whatever. But they're so focused on getting rid of fossil fuels, and we're going to go to renewables, even though it's just right. electricity. They're not thinking about it. They don't even talk about it. They don't. But yeah, the, these blades, the solar panels, you know, your battery and your flashlight, when it conks out, I know what you do. You probably do the same thing as me. I throw it in the trash can. Well, you're oh. going to need six buddies to get that thousand pound battery in the trash can <laughs> from your EV. <laughs> you know, when every, I apologize, uh, Ron, I'm sitting here kind of thinking about this, but every time you said lakeage, I thought of our president. <laughs> You know, I, I had to keep I had to keep pulling my mind back into the discussion. Apologies. There is an association. <laughs> but you know, we sit back and we talk about Secretary Granholm and and their problems that they have with having the uh, permits and the problems. Before two years ago, they had eight thousand renewable projects that they were trying to get on. Now it's up to twenty plus thousand that are waiting for permits to get attached to the grid. And then the grid won't work. Well, you also have to take a look at the amount of growing projects that are being rejected. You know, the NIMBYs oh, are not in my backyard. I think it's up for <laughs> Between solar and wind, I think there's over 500 have been rejected. They're not moving forward because people don't want those in their backyard. You know, was making it, noise, they're ugly. And, you know, it's, was it Senator Kennedy years ago? He didn't want that off of his coast. I, I remember that he shut it down and everyone was like, that's terrible. And he's like, I don't want to look at it. <laughs> right. And, uh, and like you say, because you need so much. And again, it's only electricity. Right. Now, Siemens, I think it was last year, lost two $2 trillion. I mean, they it's some number. I have to go fact check myself. But it was some ungodly number. They lost that much. Maybe it was $2 billion. Anyway, they lost that. And they're the world's largest manufacturer of wind turbines. You can't make these things and make any money. If you're subsidized, you can. 
<laughs> I stand corrected, Ronald. I am so sorry. <laughs> so well, the government's hoping to pay for it. Yeah, uh, there you go. Now I got a question. Your book is phenomenal, and I keep showing this to all my podcast listeners. How do we get to the next level? Education has got to be the only way. Having discussions is all important. How are you envisioning people taking it to the next level? What do we got to do to solve the energy crisis? Well, you're right. It's got to be a discussion because, you know, when Biden and Newsom says we're jumping out of an airplane without a parachute, Someone's got to ask a question, why, you know, what's your backup plan, you know, um, but it definitely has to be a discussion. Now, the exciting thing is I, I, I do have a passion for energy literacy, and I'm seeing more and more articles written by many different folks right. on the same subjects I'm talking about, you know, trying to bring some logic into this because, right. you know, you just can't get rid of gas stoves, no. you know, you, you, there, there's repercussions. and. You know, there, there's pros and cons, and everybody's only looking at reducing emissions, and they just see one solution, get right. rid of oil, and put up a wind turbine. Well, there's a lot of questions that have to be asked, and right now they're not being asked. And I know, um, you know, all, all the people that have the microphone, you know, they speak into the microphone, and it's really depressing that the press transcribes it. They don't question it. Right. They just transcribe it. And, you know, the fact our military is not asking the president, you know, how are we going to run our, our military without, you know, the products we have? I mean, right. You won't be able to, you won't be able to make the ammunition. You know, electricity doesn't make ammunition. And uh, so it's, like you say, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And that's, that's about a your education of your book, and I keep, I feel like I'm a cheerleader over here for your book. <laughs> uh, you and Todd just did a great job on it because the way that it is woven around with the stats, with the <clears throat> issues, you did a great job. And in the front of it, and I'm sorry for complimenting you, but too bad. In the front of it, you nailed out everything that you were going to do in the whole book. And there's a lot of books that are out there that don't do that. And this is lots of facts, lots of data, and uh, we'll have it in the show notes there as well, too. Well, so. you're, you're, you're not the only cheerleader because, you know, as you know, the book was nominated for Pulitzer Prize. And, uh, yeah, like I say, it, it does bring up information that the public should be aware of Yes, in, in reading the papers. Because, like I say, I, I'm, I'm just appalled by the press not willing to ask questions. Right. And, you know, I, I see these presidential debates coming up in the near future. These these questions should be asked of the candidates. Absolutely. And, and, and in the military won't ask them. How, how do you ask a president? How are you going to run the military? Now, I'll say one thing. The greatest thing about getting rid of fossil fuels, right. you would ground you would ground Air Force One. Well, there's Air Force One, there's Air Force Two, the five C-5s that have to go with that. So everybody says you're flying around on Air Force One. There's actually another 15 airplanes that fly along to bring the helicopters, to bring the beast, to bring all these other things along. So I plus, love Plus the motorcade of 20 vehicles. <laughs> and one C-5 will only hold like four of them. Or, I'm kidding. No, it's, it's like horrible. Well, I'll tell you what, Ronald, I would love to visit with you again in the future. And if you ever have any other books coming out or you want to spread the word around, just reach out. And I want to have you back at any time podcast. So thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. So it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. Talk to you soon, Ronald. Okay. Take care.